Growing up, my mother has always been a plant person. She has a green thumb, you could say. As I got older, I tried to be a plant person, and I always thought I had a gangrenous green thumb because everything I tried to grow ended up dying. Just recently, I purchased my first pitcher plant. The day I pulled it out of the box, I took it outside, put some water on it, and I stood there for probably two minutes just looking at this thing. And as I was standing there, a fly landed right on the lip. And I thought to myself, that was $10 well spent. A curioso is someone who inquires in esoteric matters. A collector of knowledge. Curioso Podcast. Joe. Chris. We are here for another Curioso Podcast. That's right. And uh, it's just you and me this time. We've had a lot of guests on recently. I know. It's it's nice to get back to basics. It is. It is. Yeah. No so, offense to our, our guests. but No, no. They've it, been great. And yeah. we, we love them all. And mm-hmm. Joel and Lars have been really awesome. And yeah. since we're bringing up Joel and Lars from Hobo Radio, we mm-hmm. just want to mention that we have switched tracks. We are now on a new podcasting network. That's right. That network is called Peak Sloth. Peak Sloth. So you can check out all of our sister podcasts mm-hmm. over at peaksloth.com. One of the podcasts that I've been listening to a lot of recently is the What What podcast. Yeah. And uh, those guys are pretty funny. So every single time they do an episode, it's basically like they <laughs> jump into doing a podcast that's right. completely unrelated. So every single time, it'll it'll be, you know, a podcast about magazines and then it's a podcast about fishing and then it's a podcast so every (laughs) single one it's like a totally kind of like uh, ours is sort of a grab bag of of it are it is and things but i don't think they know about all those subjects no yeah well no yeah (laughs) i think they do it as more of a joke but those guys are those guys are pretty funny and uh i am going to start listening to a few more of them and Mm -hmm. uh i think every episode we'll maybe talk about Another one that's on the network. So, oh, yeah, but we definitely. are we are just burgeoning mm-hmm. uh, as a network, and that is who we're with now. And we are uh, with Hobo Radio and the Peak Sloth uh, Network. Yep. Make sure you check out peaksloth.com and check out all the new podcasts that we are now uh, affiliated with. Yeah, it's exciting. It is. Yeah. So tonight, today, today. should I? I probably shouldn't say tonight. No. This episode. This episode. We're recording at night. <laughs> yeah. Like we normally do yeah. in the middle of the night. We, Joe mm-hmm. and I meet up at a secret location. <laughs> Deep in the bowels of the earth. At midnight and record <laughs> until 6 a.m. Yeah. And then, uh, and then you, you get a portion of that. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, that old Space Ghost cartoon where Moltar is running the boards. Yeah. You know? that's, that's how I, I feel. Do, I felt like I should have done a Moltar. I just puked in my outfit. <laughs> What's the other guy? The one that has the Bobcat oh, Goldthwait kind of voice. Yeah, Zorak. He was always my favorite. Hi, my name is Brock! <laughs> but anyway, uh, we are here uh, to talk about carnivorous plants. They eat meat. So uh, we've done a lot of episodes about, you know, we'll, do, we'll pick five mm-hmm. where we've done notable animals and things like that. Right. This is something a little bit different. This is all about... Plants, and this is all about carnivorous plants. Plants mm-hmm. that eat 
insects. Yes, and other things. And other things. As we'll get into. Yeah, but mostly insects. Yes, mostly. Insectivorous. Yes. Carnivorous. (laughs) Meat-eating. Audrey (laughs) 2. Yeah. Freed Miss Seymour. (laughs) So let's actually break down the word for carnivorous plants. Carne, which uh, we carne all, asada, yeah, right? We, we know it means meat, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, vore, V-O-R-E, is the one that eats. Right. And plant comes from Old English seedling or the Latin planta or sprout. So plant. Joe, we all know what plants are. I know, but... Th- we know what plants crave. <laughs> and they crave plants. insects. Oh, Oh, I thought you were going for the... uh, (laughs) Electrolytes? What what is... (laughs) The electrolytes. (laughs) The kingdom planta, plantae, comprises of multicellular organisms that produce their own food from inorganic matter by the process of photosynthesis. Right. It's a plant. Mm -hmm. So the difference between carnivorous plants and your regular run-of-the-mill hosta, it's a kind of plant... Uh, I thought you said pasta, and I got really hungry for a second. (laughs) Yeah. Is that carnivorous plants, usually within their soil or the region that they're in, they're missing something in their diet. Right. So they typically have extremely acidic soil Mm -hmm. or just are in a very nutrient-lacking environment, say the desert or Mm -hmm. in some sort of a swamp where there's just not a whole lot of nutrient there that they need to survive. So they have to supplement that by eating bugs. So it's an adaptation to those low-nutrient environments. They obtain some or most of their sustenance from devouring or digesting various types of invertebrates on the occasion, even small reptiles and mammals. So that is a, it's a selective adaptation through evolution. That was wonderful, Joe. Because the main diet is insects, these plants are sometimes called insectivorous, as you've stated. That's what I said, insectivorous, which was funny because that was my name in high school. Was it really? No, it wasn't. I thought it was jerk. There is, uh, there is, (laughs) there is a girl named Insectivora who uh, used to work at the Coney Island Sideshow. Yeah, we saw her, what, twice? Uh, Probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, We used to go up there a lot. Mm. But she's not a plant. No, I don't (laughs) think she ate bugs either. No, she she used to. She she? used to. Okay. She used to. Now she doesn't. Now she mostly would. uh, She eats fire mostly now. But when she first started, I believe she did. I don't know that much about her. (laughs) I shouldn't be talking. So there are at least... 583 species that attract, trap, and kill prey, these plants. There are an additional 300 proto-carnivorous plants and fungi, fungi, uh, that show some signs or characteristics of being slightly carnivorous, and uh, which is kind of neat. So it's like some of them don't necessarily have pictures or sticky things or they can't really be classified as a full-grown, full-blown carnivorous plant because they Mm -hmm. only show characteristics or signs. So thus the proto. Like the kind of thing where uh, a fly would just land on it and maybe die and then it would suck that up, but Mm -hmm. it's not actually trapping it or grabbing it. Right, right. And there are some fungi that 
do show signs that they trap nematodes and small microbes in order to devour them. Mm-hmm. So let's get into the five basic types, okay? It, within all of those 580-some plants, known plants, mm-hmm. there are only real five... Five categories. Five categories, yeah. So let's start off with some of the weirder ones. We have the lobster pot or the eel trap, which forces prey to move towards a digestive organ with inward pointing hairs and glands. Right. So this is the kind of trap, if you are from Maryland, and statistically you probably are, because uh, a lot of, most of our listeners do come from Maryland, but some of them don't. Right. Uh, you're, you're talking like a crab trap pot, right? Yeah, lobster so pot. So lobster pot, crab trap, they're all the same kind of thing, catching crustaceans. Right. So it's the whole idea that a, a crab, a lobster would be able to crawl in, but because mm-hmm. of the way the wire is faced it's really hard to get back out of, right? right it's right. the same way that your fly trap that you would use for, say, like fruit flies, mm-hmm. you know, you put like vinegar inside of, uh, uh, you know, a tin cup and you put, you puncture it with a nail mm-hmm. and it has the, the little tines that are sticking through it from the nail puncture. Yes. You put a little vinegar inside of it, a little honey inside of it. The fruit flies fly in, but they can't find ha- out how to get out. <laughs> right, right. It's like if Thunderdome had a one-way door. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Two men enter, no man no, leave. Yeah, no fly leaves. Right. An example of the lobster pot or the eel-type trap plant is the Bronchinia reducta. And it's it looks like a kind of a strange little cactus kind of thing. And it lives in southern Brazil, Colombia, and Guyana. And it, again, is found in nutrient-poor soil. So it has adapted a way to bring extra nutrients to itself. But it has these like sort of the, the leaves with my hands. I'm showing you guys. Um, <laughs> it looks like if you took all of the petals of a rose and elongated them straight up. Right. So they, they wrap around and they're, mm. they're known as like corkscrew traps because they look like a corkscrew. Yeah. Corkscrew, lobster, eel. It's right. the same sort of, it's a maze that they have to get through, and then they go into, like, the saturated soil, which is funny because they don't actually have any roots. Right. Because they get all their soil from the the bugs that crawl inside of it. Mm -hmm. So, but they they don't actually have any roots to go down. They don't, they get it off from the the bugs. So, uh, even though it it goes down into, like, a saturated soil at the very bottom, what's really funny is that uh, Darwin actually had talked about these, uh, these, you know, corkscrew, carnivorous plants thinking Mm -hmm. that they definitely were carnivorous however he wasn't actually sure it wasn't until the 1990s that any digestive enzymes were actually detected in the plants Hmm. so that we didn't know that they were carnivorous really until the 90s which is yeah wow what's funny is they don't spell certain death for all kinds of life because research has identified 29 different kinds of algae that actually live inside the traps yeah you'll find that a lot that the digestive enzymes also share space with bacteria and other things that are floating around in there. So it's sort of this symbiotic uh, environment. Next is the bladder or the suction type. It's a neat little plant. It basically sucks prey in with the use of a vacuum. 
Right. And these are typically called bladder worts. Yes. Right. Yes. And these are the ones that are usually underwater. Mm-hmm. Are they, are they all underwater? Uh, I don't think all of them are, but majority are. There are like over 200 varieties of just the, the bladder warts. Right. Yeah. So imagine like the, have you ever seen the trapdoor spider? Mm-hmm. Where it kind of opens up, grabs its prey, pulls it, pulls back, it back, and then in. pulls the manhole cover back down? <laughs> yeah, That's kind of how I imagine the, you know, like the suction traps, except for it's, it's really like it just kind of opens up and it creates like a vacuum mm-hmm. and yeah. sucks in the, you know, the little, little, bugs in the water or whatever and just sucks them in and chews them right up yeah looks like they're on almost every continent except for antarctica right because nothing grows there (laughs) yeah the atracularae i think is the actual scientific term for these these guys they're cultivated for their flowers which are often compared to those of snapdragons or orchids so that's kind of neat. So they're a beautiful plant. Right. Next up, we have the flypaper type. And that uses a sticky, mucus-like substance to catch its prey. Like a, a sap-like adhesive. If you've ever climbed a tree, you know, climbed up a, a pine tree, and you oh, have all that yeah. sap all over your hands, I mean, it just does not wash off. Yeah. So imagine that on a, on a little plant, and it has usually little little stems that stick out each with especially what the one I'm thinking of is the sundew it has the little stems with the with the droplets of the mm-hmm. stickiness yeah, yeah, you yeah. know and the it, it just gets stuck on it yeah you know the little fly is going around he's like <laughs> oh this smells delicious gets stuck on it just you know boom he's done yeah and some will actually curl right i've seen those too they curl back up so right. so it's not just like one kind one point of contact right it'll right. curl so it'll have you know a whole bunch of different points of contact on the fly so it can't get away yeah and that sticky stuff it's it's a nectar but it's also almost stomach digestive fluids the digestive enzymes right 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 so it's it it's a dual purpose neat little sticky ball of of yuck you know the the animal gets there and it's as soon as it gets stuck it's already being digested. Gross. Yeah. And there are... It's like its stomach is someone's outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of, of these varieties. And they live in a variety of areas and places on the planet. And it's weird because the mucilage from the flypaper traps is very, very similar to a lot of other plants like aloe and cactus and things like that. And in the first half of the 20th century, some people used various kinds of plant mucilage as medicine. Yeah, a lot of these carnivorous plants, and I'm going to get a little bit into this uh, a little later too, but there are, there are definitely some medical uses for some of these plants. Mm-hmm. There is one called the Drosiria, which is the, the genus of the sticky plants, the flypaper ones. Drosiria giganta, the giant sundew. And this thing's pretty big in, in carnivorous plant sizes. Found endemic to West Australia. They were first cataloged in 1839, and they can measure three to four feet tall. Holy smokes. Yeah. So imagine running through the woods naked with one of those catching. You get that stuck to your leg? Yeah. Oh, man, that'll rip out the hair. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, and they can grow in extremely large clusters with sort of a, a tree-like structure kind of holding them all together. So it looks like this weird alien-esque landscape with these... Well, Joe, every single one of these looks alien-esque. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every single one looks like it's some kind of bizarre alien. Like, like you know, even though we, we talk about how far-reaching they, they, you know, most of these carnivorous plants are, it's very strange that, they're, that they actually are carnivorous. Yeah, okay. well, I mean, that's they all look bizarre. Like yeah. like they should be in a strange B film from the fifties, a science sci-fi, you know, yeah, or B like film from the fifties, or like the original Star Trek, you know, right on a planet there. Yeah, you know? absolutely. But you were talking about the, the medical uses. Uh, a lot of herbalists uh, rec- recommend sundew tea for bronchitis. Dry coughs, whooping cough, bronchial cramps, and asthma. Interesting. I'm not saying that that actually necessarily works because it's herbalists. Yeah. But sometimes they have a, a hint on on what what actually works or not. You know, you would really have to go through and do you know case studies to find out. And right. I have some more about that later on, like I was talking about. But a, a lot of these, you know, because they have a lot of, you know, the sundews specifically, mm-hmm. you know, you have those little droplets. I mean, one of the things, you always see, like, photographers, they're taking drops of dew in the morning coming off <laughs> of, a, of a, you know, of, of a plant leaf. Yeah, Well, yeah. these plants are used as ornamental plants because they look like that all the time. You know, mm-hmm. they're, all, they're, they're, they're typically, you know, like greens and reds and oranges and, and things like that. So they have a very strange color palette. Well, they're, I, I think most of these are brightly colored for the attraction of said bugs. Said and flies and things like that. Right, yeah. right. So, I mean, they could typically see in, uh, you know, many colors. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I mean, they're just, you know, a shining, attractive, you know, beautiful <laughs> and deadly carnivorous plant. <laughs> yes, you know? sticky stomach juice plant. Right. So, Joe, since we're talking about the your, your flypaper traps, mm. right, uh, butterworts are a very specific kind that have a, a the flypaper are are actually up and down your stem, so mm-hmm. it's a very sticky trap. Uh, eventually, going down to the bottom and being eaten by the digestive enzymes. But right. what's strange about these plants uh, in Scandinavia, they are known as the sour milk herb, and this is because the protein splitting enzymes uh, were not is is not only used to you know to to split the proteins of flies and things mm-hmm. like that it's actually used to curdle milk which is why they're called huh. butterworts because you use that just like you would use uh ret, ret what is it retin mm-hmm. uh which is like a stomach enzyme of a cow but they actually you know you, you can get it from different areas now but right, a lot of the right. time you know the whole tradition where what? where cheese was made by putting cow in like a stomach's uh, a, a cow hold on Cheese was made by putting in a cow's stomach and then carrying it because you think it was going to work, and then it turns into cheese. Mm-hmm. It was the same way with these butterworts. They actually found out that the protein-splitting enzyme was able to make cheese and butter out of milk. Nice. Yeah, so it was the, it's, it's basically like a, a supplement for, for retina. Retina? <laughs> Retin. 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 Yeah. So I just thought that was really neat. So it's a, it's a way to use these, you know, these carnivorous plants in a, mm. in a way you wouldn't necessarily expect. Right. In the cheese making process. Which is kind of weird. Which is kind of weird. But at least it gives you a vegetarian option of oh, making cheese. Yeah. Nice. Right? You know, not a vegan option, obviously. No. But a vegetarian option. Next up, I want to talk about the pitfall 
type traps. Generally a pool of digestive enzymes or bacteria or both uh, which the prey falls or slides into, and then they are slowly devoured. These are the grossest ones to me, right? The, yeah, the, the pitcher plant. Yeah, so it's literally the idea that you're just falling into a pit of acid. <laughs> right. right? That's, yeah. that's basically what is happening to all these little flies and the, ants and whatever. This is the plant version of the acid bath killer. Right. And yeah. it's, I mean, that is terrifying. That yeah. the, It's basically the, the idea of like a 55-gallon drum out back of some hick's garage who you know who is a serial killer right you mm-hmm. know just dissolving in a 55 gallon drum of acid you know <laughs> that's what these plants are to me you know just thinking about them and they come in nature they just exist you know yeah so but yeah a lot of the time these are i mean they look like a pitcher like a you know a pitcher you would pour mm-hmm. uh, you know iced tea out with when i mean not iced tea i guess uh, orange juice iced a large a carafe? A bulbous pitcher. Some yeah. even look like steins. There's one that's called like the monkey cup. Right. Like it's basically a vessel for the digestive fluids to sit in a pitcher, a cup, a, you know, a bowl. And what happens is on the lip, there is... And, there, and we should mention that they're deep as yeah, well. Yeah, they, they, they tend are to be very deep. Very, very deep and long. And so steep. Yeah. So it's... And they have... Uh, Typically, like cilia or something, downward facing hairs uh, on the lips. As well as a lot of the time on the inside of the plant, it is also very slick. Yes. So that your little fly feet that are used to crawling on the wall, you know, or like Spider Man, everywhere, upside down, backwards. Once you start to crawl into this trap, Mm -hmm. you know, you just start slipping. Like, what, what is the noise? Like the. Like, right, yeah, like, you know, like the Fred Flintstone noise yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or Scooby-Doo where your feet are moving, but you're yeah. not going anywhere, <laughs> you know, and then you just fall into that piss of, pit, piss, pit, <laughs> fall into <clears throat> that piss of hell, fall into that pit of acid right. at, the, at the bottom. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because some of them, uh, some of the pitcher plants have this sort of like little umbrella mm-hmm. at, at the, uh, the, the top of the, the pitcher right. to sort of keep rainwater out of you the don't digestive wanna, fluids. You don't want to dilute your digestive enzymes, That's Joe. right. That's right. Right. It's... I don't drink rainwater. That would mess up my pH. <laughs> On the lip of these things, they generally have a... They secrete a sweet nectar-like substance on the lip, and that draws the, the insects in. But then as they're like, oh, there's even more down, down below, and sort of a, a trail of breadcrumbs. So the insects... insects go further down and past a certain point, point of no return, boom, they fall right in and they're done for. Now, one of the cool things that I found on, a, on one of these websites is that uh, these, the pitcher plants specifically, they are, you know, they, they have precious food resources, you know, your, your, your flies and your ants and things like that. Yeah. But they found that uh, things such as uh, f- fungi, uh, cannot develop in these plants. So they have natural antifungal agents. In the natural habitat of the tropics, uh, you know, competition for food is very fierce, and the hot and moist environment is perfect for fungi. So the thing is, is that these pitcher plants have a tendency to fight that, you know, fungi off. Yeah, yeah. So they've been looking at that and doing some kind of medical studies that it's possible that pitcher plants might eventually be 
you know, used for antifungal infections in humans. Nice. You know, given a, you know, making some kind of a pill. Yeah, So yeah. that is a, a very possible use for, for these, for these uh, amazing uh, and disturbing plants. <laughs> amazing and disturbing plants. There's one that I want to talk about. It is called the Nepenthes, which is the genus, Loi, which is large enough to digest small rodents. Yeah, some of these things get big. Yeah. Really big. Yeah. Uh, but this plant has developed a strange mutual relationship with one of its possible meals. The Tupea montana, or the montane tree shrew. The, it's a little shrew. The Hannah Montana tree shrew? Yes, let's call it that. Uh, so basically, the tree shrew stands at the edge of the pitcher plant. Right. And when something walks by it, he trips it and knocks it <laughs> into the soup. Right? Is that, is that what he does? No. No, this plant, the, the loi, the Nepenthes loi, has a, a strange adaptation where it has a terrestrial cup and an aerial cup. So, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. So on the from the plant, it grows cups that stay near the ground, right? And some that grow taller, aerial. Okay. You know, they they're up high. So the ones up high tend to have you know the bugs and things like that fall into it, but it also secretes that nice little sweet fluid on mm -hmm. the lip. The clever little shrew, the Hannah Montana shrew, has found a way to get a meal. It will crawl up onto the terrestrial cup. The lower, the, the lower, lower cups. cup. And peek up to the aerial cup and lick all of the sweet nectar off of the, the lip, the ring of the cup. But in doing so, what happens? It, shrews have baby syndrome. That's what I call it. Where they eat something and they poop. Oh, oh, no, no, no. That's not, that's, that's normal. Is that normal? Oh, yeah. To eat something and then automatically have to poop? I am very regular. <laughs> okay. Every time I eat, man, so like I am a, like 10 minutes later. You're like a bat or a baby. It's crazy. <laughs> I'm like a lion. Every time I eat, it's like, boom. Gots there. to go. Yeah. So while the little shrew is perched atop the terrestrial cup and is having a snack of the nectar from the aerial cup, it poops into the terrestrial cup. And so what you're saying is the terrestrial <laughs> cup is getting the, the getting... back end of the bargain. <laughs> right. Right. So it's, but it is, it's still eating it. Yes. It's fine for the plant. Yeah, yeah. Research... It's not gross to plants. No, no, no. But researchers found that the, that variance, the, the difference between those two is that why does this cup not have shrew poop in it? And this one does. So they had to set up this whole elaborate thing to watch these shrews poop in. <laughs> to give a stool sample. <laughs> right. Right. So they're 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 basically using it as like a, a stepping stool. Uh-huh. And to stool in. To stool in. Right. Right. <laughs> but sadly, some of the terrestrial plants have also found remnants of shrews in them. Every once in a while they slip. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Bloop. You gotta you gotta be careful when you're standing on ter terrestrial cups. Mm-hmm. The Nepenthes hemceliana which is another pitcher plant. It has a strange symbiotic relationship with the Curvolia hardwickia, which is the woolly bat. Researchers found that these little woolly bats like to snuggle up inside of the pitcher plant. What? To sleep. 
That's as not protection. a good idea. As protection. It's like playing with fire. I, I, I just saying, but it's like a little bat motel. So they just it's, hang out? Yeah. Yeah. And then they're like, get out and... Well, I mean, they both catch bugs, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so I it's, mean... It's probably a good perch for catching some flies. Right. And then they, they've actually observed these little bats sort of like snuggling their way into the, the pitcher plant when it gets cold or for protection or something, but they do it. It's a habit. Yeah. So just thought it was neat. I would not. It's like, it's like snuggling up inside of an alligator's mouth. Or remember that scene in Beastman? Remember with the, the bat creatures? Oh, yeah. The bat oh. dudes with the big wings? Oh, it's they, like that. But, but a opposite? bat and a plant at the same time <laughs> you know what i mean it's like even worse <laughs> it's like pierre i don't care just climbed into, right into the alligator's mouth man <laughs> right it was a lion's mouth okay whatever whatever i haven't read alphabet soup in a long time and that brings us to the probably the i guess most well-known of these uh plants mm-hmm. is the snap trap type the right. active hunters right and they're they're kind of similar to some of the sundews how uh the sundew would have some of its hairs touch and it would curl around it but it's also the very you know the very sticky nature of it right but uh as where the snap traps are have no real stickiness to it Mm -hmm. the most famous of these of course being the venus flytrap right and that utilizes a rapid leaf movement mechanism to snare its targets. They have these little tiny little hairs, little, you know, cilia, uh, inside of the... The leaf. The leaf. Typically two leaves. And with sort of this ominous, like, jaw-like fangs. They look like a bear trap. Yeah, exactly. But inside that leaf, they have these little tiny hairs. And once they're triggered, like a, a spider's web, the plant itself closes its jaws around its victim, mm-hmm. and it snares its meal. Right. Now, it doesn't just just close up, right. okay? It closes up, and then it starts to uh, excrete yes. the digestive fluid, the digestive enzymes, in order to, to kill the animal right. uh, that, that was trapped inside. Mm-hmm. Now, when it does this, it actually closes up its jaws very, very tightly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, Things that are too large to fit inside, mm-hmm. if, if it's too large to fit inside and it cannot close up properly, it'll actually open up and let the animal get away. Right, because it, it risks damage to itself. Right, yeah. and part of that damage can be the fact that any kind of fungus that's on the outside of that, you know, say, say I've seen a lot of uh, worms, for mm-hmm. instance. Mm-hmm. So I've seen some of them, you know, a worm will climb over one, it'll clamp its jaws, go over it, but half of the worm is sticking out and wiggling. <laughs> right. You know, if you have, you know, any kind of bacteria on that, mm-hmm. the plant does not want that. It'll actually right. open up, you know, yeah. grubs, things like that. And spit you back out. It'll spit you back out. Also, mm-hmm. uh, one of the bizarre things about it is, you know, say if a rock falls from a, you know, from somewhere, a pebble gets knocked into one of them, mm-hmm. it'll close up because it touched the hair a couple of times, right? So it'll actually trigger the trap. Mm-hmm. But because the an animal will continue to move, right? it'll continue to trigger those hairs, it'll continue to stay closed, as where a rock will not move 
and it'll actually eventually open up and let the rock go. Oh, and, and false fall alarm. It, yeah, it's actually nice. a false alarm. One of the craziest things about the about those about the Venus flytrap specifically is they can actually count up to about 60. They can count to 60? Yes. It's so bizarre. A Venus flytrap can actually count to 60. They can count way past 2. This is not like that horse that would uh, answer its owner's request on stage. Uh, what was his name? Clever Sam or something yeah, like that? It's not like that, right? No, no. Okay. Well, here's the thing is that it usually takes two trips of the trigger uh-huh. in order for it to close. Okay. So if if you know you touch it one time or say you you reach down, touch your your fly trap with your finger, mm-hmm. it's not going to close up. You actually have to touch it, you know, one, two, three, four, a couple a couple of times and it'll close up. Typically it's around two times. Okay. Two hair once the hairs are triggered, at least twice, typically it will close up at that point. Huh. I thought it would be a little bit more specialized, like spiders. Like, spiders have every spider species has, even amongst the own, their own species, they have codes for their webs. So they know exactly what their prey, how, how they would react. So there's a certain, like, dinner bell code, you know, mm-hmm. bing, 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 on the web. And they're like, oh, dinner time. Well, I don't think that Venus flytraps are quite that smart. Okay, okay. I'm but just they curious. do, yeah. But but what is kind of strange is that, uh, like I was talking about, it being able to count up to sixty. Mm-hmm. Okay, as long as the trap is continued to be triggered from mm-hmm. the inside, once it's closed up around its prey, and the the animal, the the, the cricket or the you know fly, the, the fly or whatever yeah. it is, it'll continue to struggle and try to get out of the trap, and as it yeah. does. It continues to hit the little hairs and keep on sending signals. Ah. The more times it hits it, the more digestive enzyme it starts to secrete. Ooh, And it nice. will continue to secrete digestive enzyme until the hairs are actually triggered up to about 60 times. Oh, wow. And that is as much... That's Basically, it's like um, they're turning up the juice. Right, right. right? So yeah. if it's a little tiny ant, mm-hmm. okay, it'll turn up the juice you know, just so much, right, until the ant is dead. Right. Okay? Right. But if it's a big, gigantic horsefly that's in there, mm-hmm. it's going to take a lot more enzyme to actually to kill that horsefly. breaking down and killing it. And yeah. breaking it down. Now, the, the thing is, is it, it, it actually will not break down the exoskeleton. Right. It only breaks down the inside of mm-hmm. the of the of the creature. Yeah. So, you know, if you have a, a fly with that exoskeleton, it'll basically kill everything inside of it, you know, mm. get all its guts, and then suck it back up into the plant leaves. Right, right. And then uh, after about 12 to 20 days or so, the leaf will open back up. And the husk falls out. And the husk either falls out or it'll fall out through wind or mm. rain. It'll wash it all out of there. Right. Now, the other thing about the Venus flytrap, it actually only grows in one area and that area is in North Carolina around the Green Swamp. Yeah. Uh, what's weird about this, is I, I don't know, do, how, how like coast-to-coasty do you want to get to with this? You, However you, you wanna, want, yeah. Well, the Curioso, coast-to-coast. <laughs> well, here's the thing is that the, the, the Venus flytrap only grows in the Green Swamp. Yeah. The Green Swamp is typically thought of as some sort of meteor crater. Okay, uh, the Stephen King sort of meteor crater. 
Jordy Vale, you lunkhead. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it, they think that the the, the swamp area mm-hmm. was littered with you know either a meteor shower or possibly the tail of a comet, which actually smashed into the Earth. Right. At one point in time, created this crater and created the swamp. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people think that the Venus flytrap is possibly maybe Ooh. from outer space. Oh, alien esque. Right? Mm. They are very alien esque. They're very they strange. Yeah. Now here's the here's the difference though. Mm. The the thing is they have a normal a normal stem, a normal stamen, a normal little flower that will actually grow. Mm. Okay. The only thing that's modified is its leaves. So most scientists don't think that it actually comes from outer space. They think it's right. it's millions of years old. Yeah, right. Of so it's been here forever. Now the strange thing is is that we actually don't have any fossil record for the Venus flytrap. Well, they are pretty dainty. Yeah. You know, they are, I mean, I've, I've owned the Venus flytrap before. The, the little ones you can get at, like, Home Depot or, right. you know, whatever. They don't last very long because they are, you, you have to be very picky and finicky with taking care of them. But, yeah. And you have to feed it. Right, right. That's the other thing, too. Right. But they are, I mean, they are a delicate plant. The other thing is, too, is that a lot of people think that, you know, you can just feed it any kind of meat or anything in there and Sticking it's not actually like a true. hamburger well, in there or something right no a lot of people do really they, they try to put like a little piece of uh a little piece of hamburger in something like that that actually will cause a, a type of rot oh yeah 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 on the plant and and it, i mean you know you think it's gonna add like nitrogen and everything else but it actually doesn't it will actually cause a a type of leaf rot on well, there it's, it's like, uh, you know, if anybody's ever had reptiles, you know, snakes in particular, they typically only like to eat things that are alive. Mm-hmm. It's part of the fun, I guess. Right. And, you know, like we were talking about, the, you know, once the trap closes up, once the leaf actually closes up at, and pushes out those digestive enzymes, mm-hmm. it needs to continually trigger the, the trap. Right. Trigger right. the hairs, the cilia on there so mm-hmm. that it knows that it is a live meal. Right. So very much like most snakes and things like that, it mm. will not eat dead things. Right. So most snakes won't do that. Yeah, so they're not carrying. I think some do now that, they, you know. I mean, some will, but right. typically you have to like poke and prod them to do that. Right. You know. You know, and you would need like a live animal and, you know, or live fly or whatever mm-hmm. it is. You actually, most people when they feed their Venus flytrap, they'll do it with little grub worms, mm-hmm. you know, and they'll, they'll put them in the trap and... It'll be wiggling, wiggling it around, and they'll mm-hmm. hold it there until the trap closes, and then they and then they pull out the the, the tweezers or whatever, yeah, right that they that they actually fed it with. Mm-hmm. The other thing is too, is that you don't really have to worry about Venus flytraps, say you know, being rained on too much, right? Because they can actually live underwater for months at mm-hmm. a time because of the the normal swamp areas that they live in in North Carolina. Yeah, they're very used to being completely submerged. Yeah, and it's not a bizarre thing. So you want your your roots of the Venus flytrap to be very very wet. Yeah, peat moss, sort of like right. boggy kind of setup. Oh, yeah, because yeah. that's where it is. It's in a swamp. Mm. Uh, but, it, it, you know, and you also want it kind of in an acidic environment. Yeah. Very much like hollies and things like that do really well in acidic mm-hmm. uh, acidic soils. Yeah. Uh, Venus flytraps do as well. Uh, and, it, you know, even North Carolina, it still gets cold sometimes. It's, I mean, it's not that far south. Right. Well, know? a lot of these are perennial. Right. You know, so that means they come back every year. They'll, you know, the 
the plants or well, the the buds and the you know whatever will die off mm-hmm. in the cold season, but they will come back because yeah. the root. Are, they actually is still have there. a bulb or what they call like a pseudo rhizome. Yes. They so it's actually like a bulb that will mm-hmm. stay and then eventually it will grow back. Uh, you know your 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 leaves again, mm-hmm. and very much like you know pruning certain things. You know they can grow your 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 flowers. Mm-hmm. Okay, they will grow flowers on there. But if you really want just to have your, you know, your your Venus flytrap, yeah, and, and you know, keep it uh, very much like with basil. Once the flower comes up, you want to clip it. Yeah, yeah, because basil will actually start to get kind of woody and gross tasting mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah. Uh, Unless you have that like small like uh, that purple Italian basil. Yeah, that stays like that all the time. Oh, really? I've never with the flowers. Yeah, I've never seen it flower. Yeah. Yeah, you just want to you just want to clip that little top off with it flowering because it actually takes a lot of energy in, to to produce that. Yeah, of so. course, because it wants to be pollinated. Exactly, that's the whole yeah. point of what plants do. You know, they flower to be pollinated and propagate the species. So you can get Venus flytraps pretty, you know, readily available in, mm-hmm. in your your local plant store. Even Home Depot kind of places. I, for because of this episode, not for this episode, but just be doing this research, I thought it would be amazing uh, to have a carnivorous plant. So I went on to our Amazon link. Our Amazon affiliate link? Yeah. And I purchased a three-pack of pitcher plants. Awesome. Luckily, they all will survive in Region 7 climate, which is here in Maryland. Uh, you would want to go and look at your region, you know, if you're, the plants will be viable for your area, wherever you may be. Uh, but I got a Saracena purpurea, which is a weird, crazy, like, purple-looking pitcher plant. I got a Darlingtonia california and a... Sarcenia flava rugelli, which is a yellow pitcher plant. Pretty neat. And once I get them into a pot, once they arrive, uh, I will put some pictures and we'll, we'll put them on the site. I, I think that's exciting. Yeah, it's I, I'd, like to, awesome I'd like to see them. To I want to come like, over and put a shrew in it. <laughs> yeah, or just watch the shrew poop in one. <laughs> <laughs> so now, because the Venus flytrap only grows in one area, a lot of people think that it, it it's in da- it's an endangered species. It, it is not. It is actually known as a special concern, which okay. means it's close to being endangered, but not quite yet. Okay. Uh, because there really are not that many of them. One of the major reasons why is urban sprawl. Yeah, of course. Right? Uh, one of the other reasons why is because of the paving of roads. Oh, uh, okay. Back in the backwoods of North, Carol- North Carolina, where they grow, mm-hmm. typically you would have your, your dirt road with your little ditches on either side, right? Mm-hmm. For, for drainage. Yeah. And what they really like, they like to grow in those ditches. Oh, okay. Right? But because of roads being paved over, mm-hmm. and then you have guys cutting the grass on either side, they're oh. killing a lot of those, those Venus flytraps. The possible... Uh, and the area. Inver- yeah, the environment. Habitat. Yeah, yeah. So I thought there was a thing about poaching, too. There is. And a really great episode about this is uh, the, the fifth episode of the series Criminal. Mm-hmm. Criminal is a great podcast. And I think we've it mentioned is. it before when yeah. we were talking about uh, uh, the owls. Yes. Notable Animals 3, that's foul. <laughs> yeah. 
where we talked about owls, that we talked about criminal as well. But uh, episode five of Criminal, they talk about the the poaching of these, you know, majestic Venus flytraps. And, <laughs> majestic. And, and pe- <laughs> people are, are actually getting charged because there is na- a new law mm-hmm. uh, that just happened recently that is uh, uh, you, you can't go out and just steal them. And they were stealing literally like hundreds of traps. They actually stole about 3% of the traps that are, you know, the Venus fly traps that were in this area. And they were all charged. Because I thought for places like Home Depot and and Lowe's and and nurseries and stuff like that that do carry them, Mm -hmm. they come from generally a a farm, right? Yeah, because because just like, you know, say I grow hops, right? We all know this because I talk about it all the time. Yeah, you do. Because I, you know, I brew beer, so I grow hops. (laughs) They have like a rhizome, right? And uh, the Venus flytrap has a pseudo rhizome. It's actually like a bulb, very much like a tulip or anything like that. sort of rhizome. It's weird. Right. So they will actually grow a second one eventually Mm -hmm. next to it. A Venus flytrap will only grow seven leaves at a time oh wow once it hits an eighth leaf and you see that that's actually a new plant that's growing oh from the the secondary bulb from the secondary bulb gotcha so you can actually take that pull it out and then go plant it somewhere else yeah of course so you know so that's how they they basically do that they have them growing really well they keep them continuously fed Mm. you know and then they they basically they are clones they will clone very much like any kind of ivy or any kind of hops or anything like that right so you can just take them and make them over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because they are financially viable, yeah, people are actually going to the source to steal them. Now, would that be on government property? Well, it's there. There's like actually way. there are the actual like sanctuaries. Oh, okay. In uh, January of 2015. Four men were arrested for poaching at the Holly Shelter Game Land Preserve in North Carolina. So this is one of these areas that they're a game land preserve that they don't allow you to come in and do this. Mm-hmm. And because of this this new law that was just ena- enacted, you know, in, well, it was enacted in 2015. We're a little later now. Yeah. Uh, you know, people are actually being charged. It used to just be like a like a little fine, like a fifty dollar fine. Hmm. You know, and then you, you know, it's a little slap on the wrist and send you on your way. Right. But now, like, the law has a little bit more teeth. Yeah. You yeah. know, and you can actually be charged with this. And and these, these you know, it was actually a $50 fine. It's basically a slap on the hand. Uh, but this, because of the new law that went into effect December 1st, it's going to change all that. You can't steal Venus flytraps anymore. It's punishable by 25 to 39 months in jail. Wow. And uh, the penalty uh, for the four men that are arrested, they will face this conviction. Uh, I mean, and poaching is, 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 is stupid because you can just, if you have one of the plants, you can actually just clone it. Yeah, just grow it at the back of your house. Right. And most of the time, it's actually the locals in the area that are doing it because they just live right next to there. Mm-hmm. And really, they're only getting about 25 cents per bulb. So they're not getting tons any... of money. Yeah. It's it's just a little pocket change, really. Yeah, but why wouldn't you just go and get, you know, a, a, I don't know, a nursery license or something, turn your backyard into a Venus flytrap farm? You know what I mean? Like, why not just do that? Why go well, the whole Especially because route? if you live in North Carolina anyway, your climate is good for that, yeah, obviously. that's what I'm saying. Like, so, why not just do it as a business? Well, because they don't want to. And it just, you know. It just seems so, like, so, bass backwards. They should uh, threaten them with, like, I don't know, maybe, like, 
15 days laying in a, a giant bed of Venus flytraps while they're slowly digesting. <laughs> I don't know if that actually will work. Damn. I also want to mention that Darwin himself mm. uh, had had mentioned the Venus flytrap and called it one of the most amazing plants in the world. I would say so. Yeah, yeah. absolutely it is. Here's the, the last little bit that I wanted to talk about with the Venus flytrap. Uh, so you think that, you know, the idea of just selling them at roadside stands or something like that is where they're getting the 25 cents, right? You know, <laughs> right. for each bulb. But that's not necessarily where it is. Well, There's 1955, like... Well, or, you know, sell them at Home Depot for 250 or whatever yeah, it is, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's stupid to steal them. You don't have to do that right. because you could just grow them, right? Mm-hmm. You can, you could, if you have one, as long as you treat it well, you keep on feeding it, it, right. will, it will grow more. Right. But uh, there is this stuff called carnivoria, Okay. Carnivoria is is uh, something that was created in the 1970s, early 1980s, uh, by a doctor who thought that the this carnivorous plant you would take the Venus flytrap, you blend it up, and the extract of it mm-hmm. in the form of a pill would okay. help your boost your immune system. Okay. Right. Is this so the whole, I don't. Like... I don't even. I'm just mentioning it briefly because I, I really don't want to give anyone the idea that. Basically, they're touting stuff like it's, it's going to cure AIDS. Yeah, it's, it's going to cure cancer. It's a callback to our, our pseudoscience <laughs> episode. episode. Yeah. That's basically what this is. It's a supplement. Now, yeah. I, I have like a few different lists of, of people who, people like, it's not Snopes, but a few different other websites that I found that mm. are, are basically, they're there to look up supplements to see if there are any kind of, you know, scientific studies that are actually supporting this viable and every, studies. every single one that I found, you know, they'll have like one study and uh-huh. it was never followed up in a peer review. And, it, uh. and, and they're never, they're, they're, they're sometimes on mice and sometimes in test tubes, but it basically has never actually been tested on people. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that just seems like it throws out a lot of claims mm-hmm. and it's a lot of pseudoscience and it's not actually anything real and viable that's going to help you cure your cancer. Right. So right. I would not suggest going and getting carnivoria because you're probably profiting, you're probably helping the people that are stealing these plants profit from it. Right. And it's probably not going to cure anything for yeah, you. Yeah, it's the same, now, it's in the same vein as tiger penis will cure erectile difficulty or seahorse, you know, live or dried seahorse will cure your, your woes or whatever. Ground up rhino horn or any of that kind of stuff. It's all that same kind of thing. If you don't believe me, look it up, look for their peer review studies. You're Mm -hmm. not going to find any. Right. I don't think that carnivoria is really for anyone. Although it is a neat idea that you would take this rare and bizarre plant to take it, grind it up you know, put it in an extract form and it would cure something. I mean, mm. it would be the kind of thing that would do that. It is very strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it doesn't. It doesn't do anything. See, I thought you were talking like a, a weird sexual kink, like vor. You know, when you said vor earlier at the very top of the episode, <laughs> yeah. that's exactly what I was thinking about. Yeah. Because I, 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 for one, do not have a vor fetish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, there are people that do, and yes. I would imagine that there are plenty that would think about being eaten up by a big old Venus flytrap. Penis flytrap. <laughs> I guess that brings us into uh, into some kind of... A uh, little, little bit of pop culture? A little bit of pop culture, yeah. Let's talk about it. I want to be a dentist and be a success. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> 
So how how did how did uh, Audrey two actually start? Right, uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Was it originally a a, a play? Right, uh, I believe originally it was a play. Yeah, yeah. and then in the fifties there was the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was. Was it an alien? Not an alien, but it was. It was something. It was from outer space, very mm-hmm. much like uh, horror movies from the fifties. Uh, yeah, Night you of the Living Dead. Night sort of, of, right, sort of thing. Came on the tail of a comet, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And then my favorite interpretation is the Rick Moranis version. <laughs> Steve Martin, Rick Moranis. The animatronics. Feed me see more. Right. The animatronics right. in that film are hilarious. I'm going to have to go home and watch this. I haven't seen it in so long. It's awesome. Uh, uh, over in Hamden, there's a hardware store called Little Shop of Hardware. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I just love going by that place. Joe, I, I cannot, in good conscience, mm-hmm. not discuss the piranha plant. Oh. Or it's called the Pakuin in Japanese, mm-hmm. uh, which is a Venus flytrap-like enemy that, of course, would like to chomp on Mario and Luigi. Oh, yes. Right. They come out yes. of the your, out your of the green pipes. pipes. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. grow out of the drain pipes. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, if you're nearby them, they yeah. don't come out. And they've pretty much been in almost every single iteration of Mario. Mm. They've shown up in other Nintendo games as of well. Course, yeah. Uh, like Super Smash Brothers and stuff well, like it's that. A, it's they've a, shown it's up a Mario spin off thing. Anywhere where Mario is, the piranha plant is not far behind. Exactly. And of course, you know, you have your, the, they have like the big white lips and the nasty mm-hmm. teeth, and they're all like chomp, red chomp, with, chomp. with, uh, with the, the white polka dots all over them <laughs> yeah. and the stem. You know, sometimes uh-huh. they'll actually. Uh, shoot fireballs, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a few different other things. Yeah, and they like to come out and chomp on you. Yeah. There are a myriad of carnivorous plant-based movies throughout the years. 1970, a movie called Venus Flytrap. The mad scientist uses thunder and lightning to turn carnivorous plants into man-eating creatures. What would you think about Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Joe? Would you consider that a carnivorous plant movie? Uh, I would. I mean, they are they are plants from outer space that come true, down. True, true. They take over people's bodies. Yeah, it's very much like Day of the Triffids or something like that. Right. Yeah. Now that was there was a like a 1950s version, but I remember the 1978 version. Yeah. Because growing up, to me, this was one of the movies that scared the living hell out of me. Yeah. The oh, very, with the one scene. The very end of the movie. <laughs> The, you you know, you had your hero, the, the, uh-huh. the female and male lead split up and then eventually met up. You're following the female lead. She sees the male lead. He's right there. And he looks up, points at her and does the, the, the throaty, nasty. Yeah. Right at the, <laughs> right at the camera. Right at the camera yeah. pointing at her. And yeah. basically he has succumbed now. To the the body snatching. To the snatching. Right. Yes. Yeah. No. Great. I, great I would film. think that this would be a carnivorous plant type movie. I, I would say so. So basically, yeah. the idea is that they that this plant would would eat the the, the human uh-huh. and then create another little pod, a pod yeah. person, pod person that would grow out of it. That uh-huh. was an exact replica of it, but completely made out of plant based materials. Uh, yeah, and sort of a hive mind. Like right. Locutus of Borg kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So I would say Invasion of the Body Snatchers is definitely right up there with them. I would too. I would too. I also want to mention Creepshow. Mm-hmm. I, I 
did a few little jams here and there throughout the episode. Uh, 1982, anthology horror movie kind of thing. Stephen King wrote, I think, most of it. Uh, but there is the through line, sort of told comic book style, uh, where this little boy is reading the back of the comic book, and he orders Venus flytraps. Mm-hmm. By the after you watched all the little vignettes, by the end he's getting chased by I think bullies or something, uh, and goes into this like back lot where he's planted his Venus flytraps, but they've grown huge, and the bullies are lured by the kid, and the Venus flytraps eat the kids. And, he, and the quote at the end of the, the film is, they eat meat. <laughs> you know? So it's great. It's all done in like animation. Awesome. What about Attack of the Killer Tomatoes? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, is this really a carnivorous plant? I don't oh, know. I don't it's think they such ever a terrible anybody. movie. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Okay, so that's not even like a B movie. That is <laughs> like... like a, Roger Corman, grade F movie. <laughs> oh, man. I remember seeing that. I believe I saw it first on USA Up All Night. Yeah. Sorry. It's it the first time I ever saw not it. Not Roger Corman. John DeBello. Okay. But it's similar to Roger Corman. <laughs> so, but it's, I don't remember them, them actually eating people. I think they would just kill them by hitting them with with tomatoes with tomatoes oh god it's the dumbest movie don't waste your time i know don't don't don't, Please don't, don't. even do it <laughs> oh what about the ruins i never saw it never saw it uh yeah. 2008 it it's basically one of those teenagers go to a different country for a vacation kind of thing before they start college um, college, why are you college. saying? Because <laughs> it's all that's always what happens in those stupid teeny bopper <laughs> movies. Like, oh, let's go to Cabo San Waco before we go to college, you know. And there's like a bunch of TNA and all that stuff. The ruins is different. Well, that's all the same, but they get to these ruins, as the name would suggest. Uh, but the locals uh, avoid it like the plague, mm-hmm. but rightly so because these dumb kids go up there and they're like, oh, this is really cool. Why don't people come and look at this? This is out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, they skerplunk their way down inside of this, what looks to be like a Mayan temple, you know, very triangular Mayan temple kind of thing. But there's a, a hoist. So they're like, oh, we're going down there. Let's go see what's in there. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe buried treasure. And they get down in there and find out that there is this... I want to say vine kind of thing, like an ivy. Mm-hmm. And it, it it slowly starts to devour members of the party. So it's, it's, it sounds a little uh, Evil Dead-ish. It, the Evil Dead tree? Kind of. There's less rapey rapey. Uh, <laughs> and, the Evil Dead tree. Oh. <laughs> and more eating. You know what I mean? Right. But it, it's, it's neat. There's a few good scenes where I think they're all sleeping on top of the pyramid mm-hmm. because the locals basically say, you can't come down. You, you've, you've gone up this, the, the temple. You can't. You're, you're banished now. You no longer exist because that, that owns you now. And they've got, like, the locals have guns and stuff and, like, don't come down or we will kill you. Uh, you've made your bed. You will lie in it kind of thing. Anyway, so they're, they're camping out on top of this pyramid, and in the middle of the night, one of the girls is heard uh, groaning, 
And one of the other girls is like, oh, God, because she thinks that her and her boyfriend or whatever are making out. Uh, but the boyfriend is clear across the other side of the, the temple. Mm-hmm. And she gets up to check on her or whatever. And like this like ivy plant is sort of like half wrapped itself around this woman and is slowly like digesting her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like That's the uh, cool. kind of like the creep show two scene where the the raft mm-hmm. where the, the can we not talk about that? Okay, I remember it. I know you. Don't I remember like, it you don't very like well. That scene, but I don't it's, like it's that like scene. that, but with plants. Yeah, no, that that one hurts me deep inside. <laughs> so I I have a honorable mention. Okay, for the carnivorous plants episode because I originally thought that this was a carnivorous plant, but in my research I found out that it was not, and this is the corpse flower. Mm-hmm. Now, the corpse flower is a big, gigantic, huge flower. Right. Uh, and they have quite a few of them. Like, there's one at, like, the Chicago uh, Botanic Gardens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe there's one somewhere in D.C. Yeah. You know, each, each like, major city has, like, one of these somewhere, like a zoo or, or an arboretum or something like right, that. Right, right. So, uh, but they're these very, very large flowers that open up. Once every few years. Yeah, it's like every like five or ten years. Right. Like that. And when they do, when they do, they stink to high heaven. I and, mean. And not large, like three or four feet. I'm talking no. like eight feet tall. Right. Like they're, they're giant. Gigantic flowers. Yeah, prehistoric, gigantic, stink meat flowers. And they call them the corpse flower because. They smell like a rotting corpse. Yeah. It actually pr- produces mm. a, a stink very much like uh, akin to a the smell of a rotting body. Yeah, rotten rotting protein, meat. rotten sulfur, right. that sort of thing. Now, originally I thought it did this to, uh, you know, every few, you know, years or every decade mm. to lure in flies to eat them. But it is not actually true. Mm. The reason why it lures in the flies is so that it will actually pollinate. Oh, yeah, I originally thought it was, you know, to, to eat the flies. It's not. It's it's literally just to pollinate. Now That's its pollination method? That is its wow. pollination method. So bizarre, right? I mean, yeah. we're talking, I mean, this thing is like a dinosaur, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a gigantic fauna. <laughs> yeah, it's or huge. Flora, gigantic flora that, that yeah. you know, uh, is, I mean, so it, it's just it's just very strange. So it makes you think, right? So you don't have really much of a fossil record for, for these kind of carnivorous plants. But imagine if we did... How big would they be, you know, uh, historically going back, you know, hundreds of millions of years? How large would these things actually be back then? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, you know, we have You fossils. would imagine they would be larger if, I mean, I oh, mean, definitely. you know, our, our dinosaurs were very, very large. Our mm. crocodiles were way bigger than they are now. Mm-hmm. Our, our, you know, you, you had the, like, megalodon shark. How yeah. big would the Venus flytrap be? Back in the day. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, even a basic plant like a fern. Mm-hmm. Ferns are prehistoric. The fossil records of them, they are quite large. Right. And they will grow quite large in the right environment nowadays. But imagine them in their heyday when they didn't have all the pollution and junk in the air and lots and lots of large creatures to eat. That's what I'm saying. You could have, you could feasibly have an Audrey II floating around back then capturing you know like little raptors yeah you know what i mean oh see boy <laughs> all right guys well thanks for uh talking carnivorous plants with us uh try not to get digested if you're going to <laughs> any you know strange swamps right or my house yeah or joe's house <laughs> uh, uh do not poop into the pitcher plant uh, because you might slip in. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, you can poop in there. Just don't fall. Can, can I? 
Not mine. Oh, what you you just said I could. Well, Don't, you the... can't take it back now, Joe. <laughs> I am pooping in your pitcher plant. Oh, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> just right after I eat something. Thank you for listening to the Curioso Podcast. You can tweet us at Curioso Podcast. You can email us feedback at thecurioso.com. You can Facebook us facebook.com backslash the curioso podcast check out our merchandise on zazzle.com backslash curioso podcast you can also check out our videos youtube.com backslash curioso podcast on the left hand side of the curioso.com you can help support the show by clicking on our donate link and if you're a real curioso we need you to go on and give us a great five-star review on iTunes. It will help us get more listeners, and it'll make you feel good about yourself. While you're doing that, and I'm look, looking at your hand, and I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, no, it looks bad. I thought you got it from, like, sanding the wall, like, maybe you... Just... Put the sand over my hand? Well, no, or, no, I mean, like, like... Just from doing this or whatever, like oh, no, maybe it's a, it's a big old maybe palm you were, sander. Maybe you were sanding and trying to get up near an edge. Oh and yeah, you kept like on hitting the wall or something. my knuckles on yeah. it. No, no, yeah. it's just just from that that chemical crap. So woof. Yeah, woof. Yeah, you know what else? Uh. This one obviously Ooh. had a little bit more funk to it because it fucking took off when I popped it open. Blech. Blech. A lot yeah. of people like that flavor, Joe. I, I, I know they do. I just do not. It is, uh, it is very, I mean, just the color of it is it's very off-putting. much like, I should never urinate that color. <laughs> right. This if is I like am hospital urinating, urine. If I am urinating that color, I have some sort of infection. Yeah. Like a, like a, a fistula. Or all the,